So uh, a, a couple of notes as they uh, uh, prepare to go. Um, first of all, uh, we're kind of excited about this Christmas bracketology thing. It's, it's kind of a goofy way to do things, but um, uh, you don't try to fill out the bracket in the, uh, the graphic is, is a little hard to see. But today, we ask you to complete one of these either on your phone during the week, um, we'll give you a couple days, but, uh, or in today, place this in the offering basket when it comes by, pick one of each. Now, if you pick two, we invalidate your whole ballot. If you've got dangling Chad, you're out. No, just pick one per the two. So between O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Come Thou Long, Expected Jesus. I know, they should both be in. I know, but we had to split them up. Anyway, um, I, I hope that you'll do that. Next week, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take those winners of each bracket and, and we'll vote again. And we're actually going to have a consolation bracket. And, and those that win, um, they will become the um, sermon topic for each of the Sundays of the weeks of Advent. Uh, so that's, you guys are deciding what our focus is. Trust me, we were real careful in picking these. Notice grandma got run over by a reindeer is not a choice. <laughs> so I, I am excited about that. I just wanted to lift that up again. I, I, I think it's pretty cool. So anyway, um, our scripture for today, I am going to be uh, reading from the book of Matthew chapter 15. And I'm going to be uh, starting at verse 32. This story is the story of feeding of 4,000. You probably heard that Jesus fed 5,000. But a little bit later, he feeds 4,000. And so I wanted, you to, uh, I wanted you to hear these words again that may seem real familiar. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How much do you tip? When you go out to a restaurant, how much do you tip? I know, I think right now the, the customary amount is 20%. I've heard some people that do 25. I also know there's some people that are stuck at 10 or, or 15%. How much do you tip? What's, what's right in that? What's the right amount? I know when I was in the construction industry and I was in sales, and I'm going back about 30 plus years, and um, the, it was right about the time the number was, the customary number was going from 15 to 20 is what you were, was customary to tip. And um, I was, I would always do 20% because it was expense accounts. So it was somebody else's money. What did I care? I was always generous with somebody else's money. But how much do you tip? What's the right amount? What's the right thing? 
And, and as you think about that, oftentimes, have you ever gone to a restaurant where, where you, you go to pay before you get your meal and, and now that it's all digital, it asks you how much you want to tip ahead of time? What happened to giving a value to service? Giving a value to the person that was going to be taking care of you? Why? How much do you tip? Now, here's the question. Because let's say it's 20%. Let's say that's the number we're supposed to do now. Let's say we fall on that number. 20% is the customary number. Now, let's say you go out to dinner with several friends and you're going to pick up the tab. But let's say I go out to dinner with my wife and, and my three children and their spouses and, and uh, maybe even the grandchildren. We include them in and, and because there's five of them. Now, some of them don't eat so much. There's a sixth and, and he's a, a foster child. He's only three months. So, you know, he's not going to spend a lot of money on it. But, but let's say we go out someplace nice. It's a holiday. Maybe, maybe we're celebrating the Cardinals. Well, maybe we go out for something. You know what Chicago and St. Louis have in common now? There's always next year. Maybe we go out to celebrate something, right? We're going out to celebrate. I still have my Cardinals cup there, by the way, just in case you're curious. We're going out to celebrate something, and um, we're going to a nice place. Something fairly nice. You know, normally we just order DoorDash. When we get that big crowd together, we're all in one house. We just order DoorDash. We don't go out that much. But, you know, now we're a lot safer. A lot of us are going out more. I don't know what the winter's going to bring. But, but let's say for Christmas we decide to go out. Now, with a crowd that size, eight adults and, and plus the children, if you go to someplace nice, you won't be surprised to spend $500. Is that fair? I mean, that's a big number. Do you tip 20%? A hundred bucks? A hundred bucks? Is that right? Do you tip 20? Is a hundred bucks a fair number? I mean, after all, she only waited on us for, for an hour and a half. That's 66 bucks an hour. That's almost $140,000 a year. Is that the right amount? And do you do that math? Does that enter into your mind? I mean, so where's the break? If, if it's not going to be 20% at 500, is it 20% at 400? Is it 20% at 200? Because that's 40 bucks. That's, that's, you know, 20 something an hour. Where's the break that you go from 20% down to 10? How are you valuing that? How are you deciding what is the value of the service, the value of the person. I know when I was in construction and when I was in sales, and honestly, it, not just that, but what I hear at, at Living Word, I walk down to Big Chief often for lunch. And Nancy and I go there almost every Sunday for lunch after church. And um, I know those people there. I know their names and I know something about them. And I want them to know I, I value them. I want to be generous. What is the value? What is the right amount? What, how do you assign value to a person? What are you willing to assign for value? Because a $100 tip sounds like a lot of money. Sounds a lot like a lot of money coming out of my pocket that I didn't enjoy in the way of food. We're doing a sermon series that we start today, and we're going to be going for the next three weeks. And we're talking about um, scarcity versus abundance. 
A mindset of scarcity is the mindset that says, I'm not sure I want to put an extra hundred on this bill. Because there's only so much to go around, and it's coming out of my pocket. And what other places do we ask ourselves that question? What is the value of the one that we're paying? What is the value of what we're giving away? I'm not, I'm not sure I want to contribute so much to some charity because I only have so much. That's a mindset of scarcity. And in, in the church, we would talk about it as a theology of scarcity. What we believe about God is our theology. And a theology of scarcity says God only provides us so much. And none of us would say that. I mean, most of us believe in a theology of abundance. Most of us believe in the idea that, that God provides ever more than we could ask for or imagine. Jesus says, I've come to give them life and give it abundantly. Most of us are there, right? We believe in a God of abundance. That is our stated theology. But what's our operational theology? The difference is where church gets called out often. Christians get called out often for hypocrisy, right? I say one thing, but I operate a different way. Do you operate out of a theology of abundance or a theology of scarcity? And is that theology, is it only about money or is it about life? All things Think about it in, in, in the case of church. So um, let me tell you a story. When I, when I got to Good Shepherd, it's a church I, I went to years ago, became pastor of. When, when Methodist pastors move, they move us like July 1, all right? And you know what happens during the month of July in every church in the world? Vacation Bible school. I think it's it's written in the Bible somewhere. That's the, that's the month. In, in the month of July, you got to do VBS. And so... I, um, uh, I arrive at that church, and I think I was there a week before their vacation Bible school started. It might have been the same week. I, I don't recall. But I remember Kent. Kent was in the lobby of the church. And that lobby is, is maybe the same square footage as our lobby, but it was long and a little more narrow. Okay, um, But it was always decorated with something for the next event coming up. And here is Kent with a stapler stapler stapling things to the wall in the, in the lobby. <gasps> you can't do that. You can't staple things on walls. We actually have a rule. We have a, a, a rule in a rule book here at Living Word. You cannot staple things in the walls, just so you know. We, and, and I'm like, Kent, what are you doing? And he's, he's stapling up the decorations for our ba- vacation Bible school. Okay? Now, Good Shepherd did vacation Bible school big. And when I say big, I mean that Group Publishing, one of the greatest publishers of Vacation Bible School material, sent us their Bible School material a year ahead so we could test market it with the three or 400 kids that are showing up, maybe 500 on a Vacation Bible School in a sanctuary about this size, only it was more narrow, and kids on standing on chairs. <gasps> Can't do that. And I said, Kent, what are you doing? Stop, you can't staple things to the wall. What would the trustees say? And he said, I don't know. I'm the president. I'll ask him next time I call a meeting. (laughs) 
Now, at, at Good Shepherd, what I learned was they had such a great value on children and their vacation Bible school that the trustees budgeted to repair and paint the walls in the library, in the lobby, twice a year so that they could staple stuff to the walls. My mindset was a scarcity. Is there enough to paint these walls, to fix these walls? Their mindset was an abundance. How do we give a value, a great value, an abundant value to kids? Just, just yesterday here at Living Word, um, I was out on the... Uh, on our property because we did a 5K. We, we did a community 5K. We got to figure out a way to broadcast that better. But um, uh, there is a, uh, 5K is 3.1 mile run, right? And um, the, you can do it 100% on our property. Last Saturday, not this yesterday, but last Saturday, Parkway West had their invitational, Parkway West invitational on our property and, and invited, they had 900 students who ran Go out there and look at the grass. You'll think it was 1,200. I mean, it is ruined, absolutely ruined. If you are one of those people whose lawn is meticulous, you're going, ah! you can't do that. You, can't, it's, you can tell where the path is. It is beat down. But now that I've been here through five of those, I know that just a little rain and a, and, a, and a couple of months and the lawn's back, by spring, you won't even know it happened. And so last, yesterday, as I, we're doing our community fi, uh, 5K, um, I, I was talking to people about, you know, it's Parkway West that sets up the course and, and, and uh, we just kind of take their supplies and run it the next week. And, and, um, uh, and they said, well, how much do you rent the property to Parkway West for? never occurred to me to rent the property. Why? Because I have this great value on bringing people to the property because I've got this idea that if I can get them here once, maybe I can get them here a second time and maybe it'll be inside the building on a Sunday. Scarcity says, we own this, we ought to rent it. Abundance says, we own this. We ought to give it away so that people are attracted to our church and ultimately to the message of Christ. Scarcity versus abundance. By the way, if you helped out on the 5K or you ran it, thank you so much for being a part of it. We appreciate you. What about our youth group? Every church, every church wants a youth group. None of the churches want it in their building. It's, it's just in general speaking, every church wants a youth group, but they're just concerned. Youth do damage. Did you know that? Maybe you haven't experienced that in your own home, but they grow up and they do damage. I'm not sure how that blind got damaged. It won't close all the way. It won't open or close right now. Um, but it just happened to happen at the same time that we had a black light Nerf gun war in this room. It was so cool to see the pictures. Oh, we've got a picture of it. <laughs> I don't know if that happened at the same time. What's the cost to replace that? Who cares? It's 14 years old. It's probably time anyway. The other ones look a little bit rough too. It's probably time. What I care about is that the youth were here. Scarcity looks at the broken blind. 
abundance looks at the presence of youth in our building. What can we and can't we do in our early childhood center? Because Joe's got to clean up every night after they're done for the day. Who cares? Joe's coming anyway. What value do you place? That's the difference, I think, in a theology of scarcity and a theology of abundance. The difference, the true difference is, what value do you put on the person? Versus what value do you put on everything else? Let me explain it a little more with the story that I read from the scripture. And, and let me tell you the backstory. So, a full chapter before is a story of another meal. It's the meal where Herod, the king of the area, now, now even though they, had, they were under uh, Roman rule, they allowed, Rome allowed kings to still govern their own people, but they did have an occupying force from Rome. But Herod is the one that governs the people, and Herod is the king. And um, Herod has a party. It's a lavish party. Um, and at that party, at the end of the party, he has a prisoner, John the Baptist, beheaded and his head brought out for everyone to see. A party that ends in death. And the next story is Jesus feeding 5,000. A meal that ends in life. Now, the story that follows that one is Jesus walking on water. He feeds 5,000. He says to his disciples, go on. I'm going to catch up to you later. <laughs> he didn't tell them how. They get in a boat. They start rowing across the Sea of Galilee. It's rough. It's, it's bad waves and stuff like that. And Jesus just walks on out there. And Peter, Peter says, well, if it's really you, tell me I can step out here. And Jesus says, it's really me. And he walks on water until he loses his confidence and he begins to sink. And Jesus doesn't go, hey, the rest of you, let this be a learning for you. Ah, he saves Peter. Because he values Peter. Just as he valued the people that he fed when he fed 5,000 plus. Remember, it's 5,000 men, that's how they counted, plus women and children. Now, the next two stories, one, one of them happens in what they call the region of Tyre and Sidon, which means that Jesus probably walked two to three, maybe four days, depending on pace, I guess, um, to uh, Tyre area, which um, Galilee is inland and Tyre is a coastal city um, on the Mediterranean Sea. And so, so Jesus walks there and spends some time there. There's a story there that, that really does have to do with God's value on people. And then there's another story about um, the Pharisees, and it, ha it's, it has to do with God's value for people. And then the next story is feeding of 4,000. Okay, so keep in mind, we're back at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has, has you know, done the walking on water thing. He's gone to Tyre. He's come back. And, and, and now he's, so, okay, so maybe there's three or four weeks that have passed. I don't know. Maybe not that much, but some time has passed. Some time has passed. And Jesus says, I want to feed these people. They, they've been with me three days. They're, they're starving. I don't want to send them away. I value them. I don't want them to, to um, uh, what does he say? Uh, or they may collapse on the way. I don't want that to happen. 
And, and the disciples say, now what did I just tell you what had just happened, right? And the disciples say, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? And I just can imagine the look on Jesus' face. There's a, there's a reason why sometimes they call them the disciples. They just don't seem to get it. I mean, okay, so it's been weeks ago. Maybe we forgot you fed 5,000 people. And, and I, you know, walking on water, who doesn't do that? We probably forgot that happened too. Maybe they forgot. Or, or maybe... Maybe something really important is happening here. Maybe God is teaching us something really important. A PhD student at Duke University, Gratzina Bielasova, I'm going with that pronunciation. I dare you to challenge me. I know just enough Russian to say I think that's right. She writes this. Against the backdrop of brutality, state violence, arbitrary arrests, and the execution of those who dare speak truth to power, Jesus takes a meager meal of fish and bread that would have barely fed him and the skeptical disciples and beckons in a new world order. While even his closest associates would lean toward dismissing the people to fend for themselves, he invites the community of the wilderness into a divine economy of care. A divine economy of care. Sharing as a physical manifestation of that care requires a suspension of belief that scarcity is the only reality available in the moment of want. Suspending belief that scarcity is the only reality. You see, a human economy looks at how much is available and sees it as a scarcity. God's economy looks at the value of each individual, who, by the way, he values each of us equally and highly. And in God's economy, there is an abundance Always enough. So, there was a man um, in St. Louis City, a uh, homeless man. And uh, this is a true story, by the way. A uh, um, homeless man that um, he, uh, well, one day he was panhandling. And um, a, a man came by and pulled a wad of cash out of his pocket, and, and he's thumbing through, and, and the homeless man is watching as he goes, 100, 200. He's got $100 bills, and he's just, and he said he went through about 30 of those, and that was all he had. And he said, I only got 100. Sorry, I can't help you today. And puts the money back in his pocket. Another man saw that happen and walked up to him and said, I only have $7. Here it is. Well, that old, older man, I'm going to call him because there's another man in the story. The older man then goes from there to, um, to go find something to eat with the $7. And he passes by the place that he stays. He usually stays. Um, uh, there's a homeless encampment. And, um, and he passes by it, and he notices a woman and two children he's not seen before. And he gives them the $7. 
and then goes, it started to rain, and, and he had an umbrella that, that they didn't have, and so he gave them the umbrella. And then he went and, and got underneath the blanket and the, the boxes, but he also was fortunate because he had a, a sheet of plastic to put over himself, and he went to sleep. He woke up early in the morning, as you can imagine, very hungry, and he went to the bus station. You know where it is, the Greyhound station in St. Louis, the bus station down there that's like underneath the bridge down there. Um, he went there, and it was early in the morning, and he met a young man there. My son. Now, I got to tell you, um, as I tell this story, the father in me is going, are you out of your mind, son? At the same time, I'm going, I'm so proud. Because my son's enough like me that he'll strike up a conversation with anybody. He's waiting on a friend to get off the bus. And he finds out the bus is supposed to arrive two hours later. And he and the older man have a conversation. They just start talking. And, and it was a great conversation, and, and it, it was, he said that, that this older man seemed incredibly intelligent, and they, they had this great conversation, and, and, and it, it drifted over toward theology. And as a matter of fact, they talked a lot about the Lord's Prayer. And my son said, you know, I'm, I'm hungry. I haven't had breakfast. If you want to get something to eat with me, tell me where we can go eat. Well, this is years ago, and he says, he says well, there's a, there's a, a 24-7 white castle right down the street here. So they went to the White Castle, and, uh, and J.D. ordered two number ones, which is uh, four uh, sliders plus fries and a drink. And he gave the, the older man his, and the older man, before he ate, said, thank you, God, for daily bread. Sound familiar from the Lord's Prayer? And they had a good conversation. J.D. ate all his burgers and, and fries, but the other guy ate his fries and two of the burgers and put two of the burgers back in a bag and rolled it up. And as they were leaving, J.D. asked him about that, and he said, are you saving that for later? He said, no, I, I know of two kids that are probably hungry today. They went back to the bus stop, and Zach's bus arrived, and uh, that older man grabbed the suitcase and threw it in the trunk. And uh, J.D. said, uh, hey, can you give me direction to where the on-ramp is to get back on the highway? And he said, you know what? It's right where I stay. Um, if you don't mind giving me a ride to where I stay, it's, I'll show you. And he let him in the car. What are you thinking, son? <laughs> so proud. And they drove to the place he was staying, and, and as the man got out, J.D. could see the mother and two kids that the burgers were for. You don't need an explanation of the story to see the difference of abundance and scarcity within it. And where does a person place the value of the individual, of a mother and two children, a man with nothing to eat, a man with a wad of $100 bills. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about scarcity versus abundance. 
Next week, Greg's going to preach on, on God's abundance and what Scripture looks like uh, when we consider uh, the abundance of what God provides. And, and, and the following week, um, uh, Val and, and Andy uh, are going to share about uh, the value God assigns to all of us. And then that last week, I'll wrap it up to talk about the abundance that we have, not only financially, but the abundance that we have that we are called to overflow out of our lives and into the lives of others. The gospel of abundance is a, is a deep trust that those who living a, live according to God's will, uh, who seek to be the image of Christ in the world, would pray with the utmost confidence, give us this day our daily bread. But also recognize that when we live into that confidence... And when we are the abundance of God, we become daily bread into the lives of others. Amen and amen. And our offering is one of those ways that we, we begin to overflow out of our lives into others, out of our abundance into the lives of others as we recognize the value of children who receive Bibles and, and, and our youth and, and all the people of our community. We overflow out of our abundance, but not just financial abundance, but the abundance of our hands, our feet, our mouths as we use words to make a difference in people's lives. God has given us abundance. And the offering is the beginning of how we share that. Don't belong Oh, you say I'm yours 
you for that. You know, um, somebody pointed out to me after the last service how um, within that scripture that I read, uh, that feeding of the 4,000, there is a, um, a, a clue or a hint about the breaking of bread. Remember, it, it says that Jesus, before he distributed the bread, he broke it. And breaking of bread was a, a, a universal way of saying, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. I want to, I'm going to pass this around to you. We get to all share together. So I'm going to give you some to break off and you some to break off. And uh, um, it, was a, it was a universal understanding of this, this great sharing. And in that story, there's this breaking of bread that is the sharing that God does with, uh, with the 4,000 and the 5,000 before. And that God does with us today as Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at the end of the supper, on his last supper, Jesus took a cup, and after preparing it, he gave God thanks. And then he gave it to them, and he said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you, for everyone, for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever we eat this bread and drink from the cup, we celebrate Christ until he comes again. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on everyone here. And upon this, the bread and the cup, make it become for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood and sent out into a world in need. It's in his name and for his sake that we pray. I want to invite you also then to uh, pray with me. We don't always do this in this service, but I want to invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. If you would, let's pray together. The words are on the screen in case you're unfamiliar with it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, as uh, those who are going to serve with me come to your place of service, let me offer this instruction. This isn't my table, and it's not Living Word's table. This is the table of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and everyone is invited, is invited to Christ's table. At the direction of the ushers, you come to the servers on either side. A piece of bread will be broken off and handed to you. You'll eat the bread and step over to the other servers who will have a small cup for you to, uh, to partake in the juice. Um, as, uh, when you finish, you can put your cup in the trash receptacle or um, uh, uh, we'll do that. And then if you like, you can go to the kneeler for a moment of prayer or you can return to your seat in a prayerful manner. If you require a gluten-free diet right over here. Uh, we have uh, the gluten-free uh, wafers available to you if you prefer that. Um, we are prepared. Please come as you're ready. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before.
God, in your economy, we are equal. We come before you in this time of our communion equally sinners, equally saints, equally called, equally saved, and equally redeemed for your purpose. 
God, help us see the abundance of the value that you give each of us. Not that because we're all equal, we are all somehow less than, but we are all great and wonderful in your eyes and loved so much that you want us to be a part of your kingdom. God, help us to see the world in your economy, not an economy of scarcity, but an abundance. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing song?
Thanks so much for worshiping with us. And remember exactly what Pastor Dave said. God shows us that abundance. So make sure you open your eyes to that today. Thanks so much for worshiping. Have a blessed, blessed Sunday. Thank you.